We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Amen. John, thank you for taking the attention off of me, not turning on my mic for confession and assurance of pardon. Appreciate you messing up intentionally to make me look like I knew what I was doing. Appreciate that. That was a good strategy, man. It's nice. Um, guys, it's good to be with you. I've not been up here to preach. I believe now it's been 11 weeks, which is why I probably forgot to turn off my mic or turn on my mic. And uh, um, man, I feel nervous. I feel like I've never preached before and I'm excited to get with you. I don't know if it's a new book that we're about to open up. I don't know if it's that I've not preached in a long time. I don't know if it's this particular sermon I'm excited about, but I'm a little amped. And so I'm excited to jump into this with you today. If you're a guest with us, my name is Joshua. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Emmaus. It's a joy to have you with us today. Thanks for being here. We hope that you feel welcomed this morning and, um, and, uh, and that the Spirit of God um, speaks to you through his word this morning. We'd love to meet you after the service. We have a connect table in the lobby that you're invited to come stop by and ask questions and get answers, and, and we'd love to hear a little bit about you. You can also go online uh, to EmmausKC.com. That's EmmausKC.com forward slash connect, EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. Uh, and there, there's a digital connect card. There's also other opportunities to get plugged in with here at Emmaus. If you've been attending for a while uh, and you're interested in what it means to be a covenant member at our church, you're interested in taking those next steps, then on Saturday is our next membership class. And we'd invite you to join us for that. It's Saturday morning, this coming Saturday morning, the 18th. Um, you can sign up online. You can go by the Connect table to do that as well and sign up and, and then come join us for that class on Saturday morning. We'd love to have you there and walk through what it looks like to be a member at Emmaus. Uh, and that's the beginning process for you. Um, to become a member, you have to come to that class, but you don't have to become a member if you come to the class, right? So take the opportunity um, to learn more about us and, and take those next steps with us if you're interested in that. Hey, we, we started launching, again, uh, children's ministries, Emmaus Kids here at Emmaus. So right now we have um, a nursery. So birth through three-year-olds are taking place right now. So if you have a child in that age range, you're welcome to take them upstairs at any point, check them in, um, and they can be there. We're hoping that in October, it looks like we're going to be able to expand that to pre-K. Uh, and we're pushing pretty aggressively to try to expand all the way through second grade, um, either October or, or November is kind of what we're looking for. We still need some more volunteers um, in, in ministry for us to be able to relaunch back into that fully. And so if you're a covenant member, we invite you to consider that, um, but excited about Emmaus Kids beginning. Hey, covenant members, uh, you also received, uh, prob uh, you should have received notice uh, just, I believe it was yesterday, about an initiative that we're doing here at Emmaus over the next uh, several weeks called Fall Together. Uh, and uh, I I'm, I'm almost 41, and so I've earned the right to be a little cheesy in what I label things now. And, uh, and so just, if, if you don't like cheesy, you just got to get over it. I'm getting older, and we're getting cheesier as we go, all right? And so um, Fall Together is a play on words. One, it's fall and we want to come together. And two, Ronnie, just mm, good marketing right there, right? Ron, Ronnie's a marketing guy. He's like, that was, that's solid, right? And then the other idea is this, like in the idea of like falling in love, you fall in love as you spend time with each other, right? That it doesn't happen any other way. And we want to be a group of people who are kind of falling back in love. Uh, can we do that? Is that cheesy enough? All right, let's, let's fall in love together, right? We want to um, re-engage in a sense of community with each other after 18 months 
of what has felt like a lot of isolation in so many different ways. And so just the beginning of that is, is three initiatives this coming Friday night. So this is Friday night, the 17th. Um, Emmaus has purchased 100 tickets to the Royals game. We're inviting you to join us. You can sign up online. Uh, if you are um, not a covenant member and you haven't got that message yet, then we will have things posted on social media and different opportunities and on the website on our calendar uh, for you to be able to sign up for that. Those tickets are free to you. You just have to pay for your parking. So carpool with some people and come join us in section 421. If you try to sign up and the tickets are already taken, we're in section 421. Come get close to us and hang out with us. And the tickets were like 10 bucks. So you can probably afford that, right? So, so come join us. If you're like, hey, I can't afford that. I really want to be there. Let me know. We'll find $10 for you and we'll help you out with that. All right. Come join us on Friday night. Sunday, October the 10th, uh, we're going to do um, Emmaus at the Park. Instead of gathering here in this theater for two services, we're going to gather at Mackin Park uh, in, the, um, in the Festival Pavilion, which is across the street from NKC Parks and Rec um, Department there. And, uh, and we're going to join, uh, gather there at 9 o'clock for one worship service all together outside. Bring your camping chair. There's also picnic tables there for about 100 people. And we're going to gather. And then we'll do a picnic afterwards and hang out and have yard games and just kind of be together in fellowship. So that's on October 10th. And then on October 16th, the following Saturday, we're doing Emmaus at the farm, um, and which I know does not sound very city-like, but it's a lot of fun in the fall. We're going to the fun farm in Kearney. Uh, there's corn pits, and there's um, bounce things, and there's uh, petting zoos, and there's um, pumpkin cannons. If you think you're too big for uh, corn pits, then come shoot cannon, pumpkins out of cannons. It's a blast. Uh, huge carpet slides. Come join us. We have 100 free tickets for you for that as well. We'd love to have you join us and be a part of just coming together and spending some time um, fellowshipping. So we're excited about that. Hey, this morning, um, we have the joy of having the chaplains with us. Uh, Jamie and Corey Chaplin were a part of our church for a long time, served here in many different ways, leading community groups, serving on staff. Uh, Corey was a resident with us, and two years ago, we had the joy of sending them out to Mount Hope Church in Bristol, Rhode Island, which was a church plant for them to be a part of and help lead, um, and they're back today. They've been here this weekend and met with some of our members to share what the Lord was doing. We're going to pray for them here during the service. They also have some information out at the Connect table, so if you're a covenant member and you're interested in how can you pray with them, how could you support them, how can you be a part of what they're doing, feel free to stop by the Connect table to connect with them after this service um, and get that information. We'd love for you to be able to do that. We're going to pray for them them, uh, and then we are going to jump into this scripture. All right. Jesus, we thank you for your graciousness to us to bring us here today, in this moment, in this place, to open this word. Father, what kindness that we get together. Father, today we pray for a number of things. In light of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and the realization um, that some of us had to sit in yesterday of somberness, of loss, of grief, of just the feeling of, um, once again, of just the idea of, of evil and wickedness that's in our world and, and death and despair and, and hurt and pain. And Father, we, we simply pray on behalf of those who suffer. For various reasons, those who suffer under oppression and under death and under sickness, Father, may you be close to the brokenhearted. May there be comfort, may there be care, may there be hope, and may there be gospel there. Father, we pray for the chaplains and the work that they're doing in a difficult part of our country. 
Father, would you give them endurance and strength and wisdom? On the days they feel alone or they feel tired or they feel like it might not be worth it, would you give them um, hope in the gospel in their city? Father, may you see their church grow in unity and grow in mission. May, may you allow them to see people come to know you this year. Father, finally, we pray for our word, that we're, your word that we're about to hear. Spirit, would you take the word and would you speak it to our hearts? We need honesty with ourselves and honesty with you and openness to what you're teaching us. Spirit, would you preach a better sermon than I have prepared this morning? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you can just kind of open to the middle. That should put you in Psalms and then just turn to your right a little ways. You'll pass Proverbs and be in Ecclesiastes right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to read today verses 1 through 11. We're beginning a new series in this book. We'll be here counting today 14 weeks in this book. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 this morning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to come among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. It's a number of years ago, Tish and I were in Joplin, Missouri for her brother's high school graduation. And uh, that night we left the graduation, thousands of us left the graduation, and we were driving back to my father-in-law's house for the graduation party, and as we're on the way to the house, we hear the, the storm sirens going off. Being from southwest Missouri, you just grow callous to storm sirens. You don't pay attention, but something felt different in your spirit this night. So we rush to the house, we drive a little faster, we get there, and about the time we get there, people are running out of the house, and they're beginning to crawl under the house. I'm a skeptic of the storm. Um, I'm like, I don't want to get under the house. It's muddy under there, um, and, and there's bugs. And so um, I'm skeptic until the door just gets ripped open off of the, the house. So we crawl under the crawl space, we crawl back into the corner next to the, the, the foundation down in, into the dirt. That day, the, the least of our worries at that moment were the bugs and the mud, and, and we're all laying under, there's about 10 of us under the house at this moment. And the next eight minutes are like seared into my heart. 
Like it, it brings an anxiousness as I was like writing the sermon and thinking back on this. It brought an anxiousness even to my chest in that moment. Kind of the, the trauma of that brought anxiousness to it. The images that I saw will never, never leave my mind. As we laid there under that house and we began to hear that a storm was coming, a, a large storm was coming, what, what we would come to find out would be the, the largest, the most deadly, the most costly tornado in the history of the United States, drilling a line 22 miles long, a mile wide through the heart of the city, killing 156 people. I was praying, laying there, Father, please protect us, please protect us, please protect us. And there's that moment where I was like, he's not going to protect us. That this is the end. As you begin to see the, base, the, the baseboards of the house pop up and down over your head and large objects fly past the crawl space entrance and you heard that locomotive coming down upon you. I reached around my wife, put my arm around her as tight as I could. I looked at her and I said the most romantic thing I could think of. It's been fun. I wish I would have looked at her face to know what her face said in that moment. I just said, it's been fun. And then I began to pray, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Because facing what I thought was a sure death, the only thing I knew how to say was thank you for what's about to usher me to life. We came up out of that hole. The house next door was completely gone telephone pole through our car. You couldn't get through the streets. And we began a two-mile walk to Walmart where my wife's sister was. That was completely level. Fires and explosions and blood and smoke everywhere. Screaming and panic. The only thing I could compare it to would be a war zone. What happened to me in that day, I believe is very similar to what the author of Ecclesiastes wants to happen to us over the next 14 weeks. Although I hope with a little less trauma. He wants to bring us to this point of realizing, facing death and what everything in our hands really has of value. Martin Luther said of Ecclesiastes, it is one of the more difficult books in all of scripture one of which no one has mastered, which makes me feel really comfortable preaching it today. It appears to be the writing of a jaded, pessimistic nihilist. Therefore, many have questioned whether or not it should even be in Scripture. How could a believer, how could a man of Scripture, how could one of God's people write this for us? Like, this is just, he's like he's just giving up on life. Ecclesiastes appears to contradict itself. In chapter 7, it says wisdom is preserving of life. But in chapter 2, it says wisdom fails to preserve life. In chapter 4, it says dying is better than living. In chapter 9, it says living is better than dying. In chapter 2, it says the wise are no better than the fool. But in Proverbs chapter 3, it says wisdom is a tree of life that blesses those who lay hold of it. So it even appears to contradict other scripture. Ecclesiastes says we should walk in the ways of our heart and the sight of our eyes. But Jesus said, don't trust your heart and eyes. 
And as one pastor pointed out, there is no outburst of praise or prophetic words of hope within this book. So what do we gain from it? What do we glean from it? The book of Ecclesiastes is an incredibly honest book. Deep-rooted honesty about life and humanity and our heart. And it's going to call us to be honest. It calls us to an evaluation of life that, frankly, we're not really comfortable with. It calls us to address the realities that good things happen to bad people. And that bad things happen to good people. It calls us to face realities that the fool sometimes prospers, while the wise sometimes suffers. It calls us to the reality that we can spend our weekends chasing pleasures, but Monday is always waiting. And we can spend our weeks bleeding for gain, but gain is always lost. And if somehow we survive life with all the pleasure and all the treasure that we've sought to accommodate, we still will die. And then you leave it for somebody else. And who knows, Ecclesiastes says, if they're an idiot. Who knows if your kids are going to be wise with what you leave them. They might just waste it all. What gain is it to you then? And all we get, no matter how new or how much or how good, Ecclesiastes makes us face the reality that it's never enough. You never get enough to be enough. You always want more. You always want something newer. And guess what? There's actually nothing new to get anyways. And then ultimately, church, it causes us to face the reality that we have very little control over anything. Over anything. Feel encouraged yet? Let me tell you, it's a really encouraging book. It actually is. Let's take a look at it. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This is what we get as far as who the author is. It gives us no name. Most assume it's Solomon, son of David, king in Israel. He calls himself the king. He calls himself the preacher or the teacher. Some have said that this is actually the book of of another teacher who's writing based off the life of Solomon. So he's looking at Solomon's life as an example and he's teaching us a lesson based off of it. Some have said this is a book made up of many authors who are all, because it just seems to contradict itself and it's just kind of like over here it feels this way and over here it feels this way. And so there's a lot of different authors who are writing this. Your pastors feel we have no reason to doubt that it's actually Solomon who is the author. But at the very least, it's based off their Solomon's life. Very wealthy, very wise, very godly for most of his life, man. We're going to see three key phrases throughout this book. First, you're going to see this word in the ESV, vanity. Vanity. The Hebrew word is hevel. Hevel. Say that with me. Hevel. Hevel. 
I want you to remember that. It's much better than vanity. All right, it's a difficult word to translate. We'll look at it here in a moment, but it's going to appear 35 times in this book. You're going to see the phrase under the sun, which is our tagline for this, or one of our taglines in this series, under the sun. It'll appear 30 times in this book. 30 times under the sun. It's literally talking, when you see the phrase under the sun, it literally is talking about there's a sun and we're under it, right? It's a really complicated idea to grasp, right? There's a sun and there's life that happens under the sun. That's our life, right? That's our life. And then we have this phrase, which we'll see next week in verse 14, chasing the wind. Or in the ESV, it'll say striving after the wind. This phrase captures the heart of Hevel really well, actually. More on that to come. Listen for these phrases as we go. Let's jump into chapter one, verse two. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What is he talking about? Again, the word here is hevel. Hevel of hevels. All is hevel. Your translation, if you follow with us in the ESV, says vanity. Other translations say meaningless or futility or useless. But the Hebrew word hevel, though tricky to interpret in, in English, most likely, uh, most uh, literally means vapor or smoke. Vapor or smoke. The idea that everything is smoke, smoke of smoke, all is smoke, vapor of vapor, all is vapor. The idea that everything is vapor or smoke is that you try to grab it, but you can't. You see the smoke come up, you try to get a hold of it, and it just goes through your fingers. It just eludes your grasp. Or think of a vapor, it's there before you for a moment, and then all of a sudden it's gone. You're like, where'd that go? Like, where, where'd that vapor disappear to? It was right in front of my face, and now I get, didn't have time to escape. Just where'd it go? It's eluding, or a great word for us is fleeting. Fleeting of fleeting. Yes, everything is fleeting. Ultimately, the translation vanity, I think, is a pretty poor translation because vanity in English means empty. Right, empty. But life is not ultimately empty. It has substance. It has pleasure. It has accomplishment. It has relationship. It has pain and loss. It's not just emptiness. Life is also not meaningless. It's not the author's intent here. He's not an overly pessimistic or nihilistic man that just thinks everything has no meaning. Why even care about anything? Life is not pointless. In fact, the author of Ecclesiastes is going to bring us to understand life actually has a very clear point. There is a point to all of this. What he's wanting us to grasp, church, is that life, this life, life under the sun is fleeting and is not ultimate. And as long as we live life under the sun as if it is ultimate, we will continue to be disappointed and frustrated. Life under the sun is not ultimate, it's fleeting. As long as we continue to believe and treat it as ultimate, 
will continue to be disappointed and frustrated as the smoke slips through our grasp. So as we move forward, you're going to hear vanity over and over again in your Bible translation here. And remember, it's the word hevel, the word fleeting, smoke, vapor. Chapter 1, verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Right, the author comes right away and he goes, listen, vapor of vapors, vanity of vanity, hevel of hevel, all is hevel. After all, what do you actually gain by all of your toil under the sun? Under the sun, again, will appear over 30 times for us in this book. And it's simply talked about our life underneath the sun in which we live under. I love our graphic, right? And our graphic we have at the top up here, the sun and life under the sun. You have wind and a chasing of the wind. And in life under the sun, you have birth and you have death of humanity and of creation. All of life under the sun is about life coming and life going and trying to grab it feels like a chasing of the wind. Great job on the graphic, Hyacinth. It's beautiful. Under the sun, what you gain by all of your toil is nothing. No matter how hard you work, you will still have the same result in the end. That's this point. No matter how hard you work, at anything, at grasping anything, you still end up having the same result in the end. Look at verse four. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever, right? You're going to be born and you're going to die. Over and over and over again, this has happened in the world. Generation after generation, this same thing has happened. No one's escaped this. No one escapes birth and death. It happens over and over again, all while the world's still there. That mountain, it's still going to be there when you're dead and your great-grandkids are dead. A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. Verse five, the sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. The, the sun keeps coming up, and the sun keeps going down. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to extend your life doesn't matter how healthy you try to eat, how much you try to exercise, what you try to do to slow down the aging process on your body. The sun keeps coming up and it keeps going down every day. And every day that happens, you're closer to dying. It's encouraging, isn't it? And you have no ultimate control over it. The wind keeps blowing and the streams keep flowing. And the ocean never fills up. And guess what? You can't control it. This, my friends, is one of the hardest things for us to grasp that we learn in this book. We have ultimately no control. The streams keep flowing. We can't ultimately stop that. 
They keep going to the ocean, but it never fills up. We can't really explain and understand and stop that and grasp that. The wind blows. We can't harness the wind. You, you can't just grab it and stop it and hold on to it, not help the wind, not let the wind blow anymore. It's out of our control. Have we not seen this in the last 18 months? You can wear masks. You can social distance. You can get a vaccine. You can take great precautions. And ultimately, you are not in control of staying healthy. People who do everything right get sick, and people who do nothing right, right stay well. We ultimately are not in control of this. You can work day after day to build and to save and to grow financially. And in an instant, it can be lost. Businesses that took years to build fell in weeks. Savings accounts that were gained with blood and sweat and hard work were burned through in months. For all of your labor, you cannot control ultimately your security. New Orleans prepared as well as it could for hurricanes and still devastation. New Jersey has all the same weather predictions that we have and still they couldn't predict what was happening. The West burns year after year after year despite us knowing it's going to burn. We can't stop it. And at the end of the day, we must step back and be honest and say, we have no control. Life keeps going. And it's often painful and bad things happen. And anything good we have built is in the end simply smoke that slips through our fingers and can be lost at any moment. It is fleeting. Life is fleeting. Which leads us to verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. All things are full of weariness. All of this makes us weary. Trying to control it makes us weary. Our lack of control makes us weary. If we had control, we would feel weary trying to keep control. Life is wearisome. Do you feel it? Do you feel tired? Exhausted? Done? Like you could just burst into tears at any moment and you can't really even explain why? Life is weary. It's exhausting. At many times it feels hopeless. And Ecclesiastes is very honest about this weariness. I'm okay doesn't fly in this book. I'm fine is not an acceptable answer to this book. Fake smiles don't fit into it and pretend contentment does not have a place here. That is not the point of Ecclesiastes. He's calling us to honesty about the weariness of life. Verse 8b tells us why he's weary. He says, nothing I see satisfies me and nothing I hear fills me. I always want more. Right? Let's say that everything goes good and I keep accruing more. It doesn't matter how much I get, it's not enough. 
Let me give you an immoral example. An immoral example would be pornography. It doesn't matter how much of it you take in, it's never enough for the person who wants it. It always leads to wanting more. Or a moral example. It doesn't matter how many days you get at the beach, taking in the smell and the sound and the sights and the breeze, watching the waves crash in. When it's time to come home, you always want another day. It's never enough. And if it is enough for you in that moment, you're like, I just, I got to get back home, man. There's so much to do. I've got a good life. Let me go back. It's like, you want another vacation. It's not like I had one. I don't need another one. 37 years ago, we went to the beach. It was fabulous. Never wanted to go again, but it was great. You always want more of whatever good you have. He goes, so anything I even get just wears me out because it's never enough. And guys, next week, Sam's about to take you on a deep dive into this man's pursuit of everything he wanted. Wisdom, he accrued more than anyone could get. Knowledge, he accrued it. Hard work, he accrued it. Treasures, he accrued it. Women, he accrued it. Like 700 in his concubine. He had all the money, all the food, all the pleasure. He had his own bands that played music for him when he, anytime he wanted. He had everything that a human could possibly long for and better than any of us could imagine. He says next week, I gave myself to wine. And guys, when you're the richest man in the world, it's not box wine. He pursued the best there was in everything he could pursue. And he goes, it wasn't enough. It's never enough. And in addition to it never being enough, verses 9 through 10 say this. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has already been. It has been already in the ages before us. So he goes, listen, there's, there's actually nothing new to pursue. You want more and you want new, always new, but nothing's actually ever new. Now, we realize there's new things, right? There's new, I've never experienced this, that was a new experience for me. I, I've never owned that, that was a new thing to own. But here's his point. You bought a new car. It's great. People have had new cars before. And they were never enough. You had a new experience. Wonderful. People for generations have had new experiences. It's never been enough. Technology gives you a new convenience for life. Your coffee maker makes coffee for you before you even get out of bed. What a beautiful experience, except for those of you who think that's bad coffee, but you're wrong. Convenience is better than quality in coffee. But that's besides the point. Back to the text. New convenience in life, but societies have always chased new conveniences and found new conveniences, and it's never been enough. You have a new job that doesn't carry the same baggage as the old job. That's great, but a few months from now, it'll carry baggage, just like every job has throughout all of time. You're in a new relationship. The honeymoon will end, just like it has for every couple who's ever been in a relationship. There's nothing new. 
Generation after generation comes and goes, and they all strive after the same things we're striving for, and people have grasped them, and it's never been enough. And it's always slipped through the fingers. And verse 11 says, and if that's not enough for you, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. If that's not enough for you, just remember this, you will be forgotten. Some of you, that's your worst fear in life is being forgotten. For some of you, that fear comes from real trauma, from actually being forgotten. The author of Ecclesiastes says there will be a day that all of us will be forgotten. Everything you've accomplished will be forgotten. Every strive you've made will be forgotten. You've worked so hard to have a healthy, strong family. That's great. Three generations from now, they won't know your name. Ultimately, we're all forgotten. In the words of the poet Thomas Gray, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. It all leads but to the grave. Vanity of vanities, hevel of hevels, fleeting. Yes, life is fleeting. A vapor slipping through your fingers. Josh, I thought you said this was an encouraging book. It's getting worse. It'll continue to get worse. And yet in the midst of it, there's a lot of hope. What do we do with this? Some pastors have used this book to teach us that, that life is meaningless and it is vanity if you don't have Jesus. So come to Jesus and it gives your life meaning and purpose. I understand what they're saying, but I don't think that grasps the author's point. I don't think the author is saying, hey, life is meaningless if you're an unbeliever, but it has meaning if you are a believer. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think the author is going, hey, life is fleeting whether you're an unbeliever or a believer. It doesn't matter what you believe in and who you trust, life is fleeting. Life under the sun is a vapor. Life under the sun is fleeting for all of us believer and unbeliever. Therefore, church, we need a hope that is above the sun. We need a hope that does not reside under the sun with us, but a hope that resides above the sun. And this author of Ecclesiastes and this pastor and this church just so happen to believe that there is a God who is above the sun. A God who created the sun a God who holds the sun in his hands, a God who created all who are under the sun. And you and I have no control over this world. We can't control the ocean or the streams or the wind. We can't build anything that truly lasts. We can never accomplish enough or gain enough experience to be satisfied. You and I cannot, for all of our efforts, control death. It will come for all of us, the wicked and the good. But church, there is a God who is above the sun, a God who controls the wind and the streams, a God who commands the sun to set and to rise. There is a God who never forgets and a God who never fades. There is a God who is fully satisfied in himself and needs nothing that is new. 
There is a God who will not die and there is no end to our God who is above the sun. He is anything but fleeting. In a world that is heaven, God is solid. In a world that is smoke, he is substance. In a world that is fleeting, he is stable and he is everlasting. Our God is above the sun. In chapter 12, the author of Ecclesiastes will come to this point in his conclusion and he'll say, what I have come to after all of this experience in life is this, the whole duty of man, the whole duty of man is to fear this God who is above the sun and keep his commandments because God will bring every deed into judgment. He doesn't conclude the book though, church, with fear. This is not a promise of fear. This is not, there is a God who will judge, so be afraid of him. Tremble, be afraid, and, and, and walk into obedience out of like being afraid. This is that, that fear of reverence and hope and trust in a God who will judge. The judgment for the Christian is not something to be feared, but something to be hoped in. If you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, the judgment is not an object of fear for you. It's not a day of fear. It's a day of hope. Because at the judgment, God will once and for all do away with all that is hevel and usher in what is lasting. So the day of judgment is a day of hope for the believer. And the author says, therefore, what I believe you should do is spend all of your days chasing after this God. The beauty of life under the sun, the beauty of this is that life under the sun, church, is hevel, but life under the sun is not all there is. We, because of this, we get to look at the hevel of this life and we get to see it all as gift. Because life under the sun is not all there is. We get to look at the life under the sun, all of this hevel, and we get to see it as gift to be enjoyed right now, but not held to as eternal. To enjoy what the Lord gives you, but not to build your life upon it. It's fleeting. He is not. He gives us the enjoyment of life as gift for worship of him, for pleasure to ourselves, to enjoy, to steward, to care for, to use to point others to him. But it is not eternal. It's gift. And so it turns out that my humiliating statement to my wife in that crawl space might actually be right in line with Ecclesiastes. It has been fun, this gift of life together. Thank you for your grace, God which will usher me out of this life of hevel and into an eternal life that I have hoped in, a life that is not fleeting and vanishing, a life that promises to always be enough. This is the perspective that led Paul to write, I am content whether I have much or I have little. This is the perspective that led Paul to write, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Unbeliever, here's what we want you to know this week. 
If you're here and you have no faith in Jesus, you've never trusted in Jesus, hear me say this. I want to be as honest as I can be. Trust in Jesus, faith in Jesus, does not erase the hevel of your life. It's not automatically going to make your life better. In fact, it might make your life worse at times. But faith in Jesus does apply a hope of a life that is not under the sun, but above the sun. See, ultimately our hope is not that this life gets better, though we would love that. And we should strive for that. But our hope is that there is an eternal life awaiting us that is perfect. So I plead with you to come to Jesus today, to place your faith in Jesus, to hope in Jesus and to grasp the hope of a life void of hevel to come. To the believer, remember the words of Paul in Romans 8 that we looked at last year. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Believer, over the next 13 weeks, I pray that you and I will be honest with ourselves and with each other and with God about the hevel of our lives. And I pray that God will use this, this fleeting world, to help us grow in hope and in patience and endurance for the life above the sun, while also learning to enjoy the gift of life under the sun. I think there's much hope for us here in this book. Every week we take communion. Here's what's beautiful about what we're about to do. We are about to take a gift of heaven. This bread that we are about to eat is fleeting. It's about to be gone. This juice we're about to drink, it is fleeting. It's about to be gone. In fact, this moment that we are partaking in is fleeting. It is soon over. But the broken body of Christ is not fleeting. And the blood of Christ will never end. At this table, we partake in the gift of what is hevel and are reminded of the gift of acceptance by the God who is above the sun. At this table, we remember that there will be a life void of heaven. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've placed your faith in Jesus, we invite you to come take with us. Come forward, you'll receive hand sanitizer here and then come over. We have a gluten-free option for those who are gluten-free and, and then for those who aren't, we have bread and then we have the juice. You'll grab those, go back to your seat, take. We'll conclude with one song in our benediction. If you're an unbeliever, we ask that you not come take. Instead, as the author of Ecclesiastes has done, be honest. Be honest with yourself about where your faith is at. Stay in your seat. And our invitation to you today is to, instead of taking bread and juice, take Jesus. Take Jesus. He is 
He is the one who is not fleeting. Take him today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that we find in it. Press it upon our hearts. May we receive life from it today. As we take this gift of communion, may we be reminded of the gift of heaven through the person and the work of Jesus who broke his body and shed his blood on our behalf. May this be a moment of worship. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, come and take. The following audio is from Amaze KC. More information about Amaze KC is available online at www.amazekc.com.